Thank you, Max. Uh, if you are someone who has a Bible open in front of you, whether it's a digital or physical uh, copy, please feel free to keep them open. Uh, but let us continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has loved us and brought us out of, of our sin into your righteousness. Uh, we pray, thank you especially that through your word we can know more clearly who you are and the love that you give us. Uh, we pray as we listen and hear now that you will guide our hearts and our minds to understand clearly your will and want for our lives, that you'll guide what is spoken and said that is done for your name and the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, they say that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard this statement before, and it's, it's, it's a positive one. It's meant to reinforce that the things that some people may not value uh, are actually really valuable and important to you. Uh, for a good example, I was thinking of as a parent, when your child achieves something, you are proud of their achievement, but no one else normally is. But you care. And it's a positive thing, it's a good thing. It's meant to encourage us to see value in the world. The problem I have with this saying, however, is that it is a saying that goes both ways. Just as one man's trash is another man's treasure, one man's treasure is another man's trash. Uh, and I'm sure many of you in your lives have worked hard on something and been proud of something that you've achieved or done or put forward only to be told that it wasn't worth the effort or the time because it's not very good. Anyone who's ever been to uni, no doubt, has felt that at least once in their life. I felt it a lot of times. Today, Paul uh, wants the Philippians to understand uh, this reality, that many of the things that they see as treasured or that maybe are told are treasured and valuable are, in fact, actually rubbish. And he actually wants us to draw close to the true treasure, the one thing in life that is worth chasing and pursuing, and that is the love of Jesus and faith in him. So we begin at verse 1 of chapter 3 with the phrase, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, we are about halfway through the book, uh, and Paul has made two succinct points. This is his second uh, the first, uh, as we went through the first chapter, we saw Paul introduce himself, explain his circumstances, and praise God for the Philippians. And then he gave his first actual instruction, which was to live as citizens of the gospel. Uh, and in that, he looked about it throughout chapter 2 and that last bit of chapter 1, uh, the unity and what it means to live as united people against a world. And now Paul is moving on throughout the rest of this chapter, and you notice the word rejoice just keeps popping up through the rest of the book. And what Paul wants us to understand going forward is what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? So if to ask you what the book of Philippians is about, it's about living as citizens of the gospel who rejoice in the Lord. We could just stop right there and go home and finish the sermon series. It'd be great. But that's not what we're going to do because it's really important to look at it. Paul wants the Philippians to know what it means to be people who rejoice in the Lord. And so he actually begins by telling them what not to do, what not to focus on, and where their heart should lie to help them rejoice. He says to them, he says, continuing on, he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who, are served, who serve God by his spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, Paul is using incredibly uh, strong uh, language to describe a group of people. He describes these people as dogs and evildoers. Uh, and the phrase dog, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the word dog used today. It has many different meanings. Uh, it tends to take on a sexual connotation to today's culture. But back then, it was, it was a deeply offensive statement to describe a person. Because a dog was a rabid, wild animal with no sense or thought, acting on impulse, aggression, and out of control. And Paul ultimately is referring in these instances, and we know it because in other books he refers to the same group of people in the same way. He's, he's referring to the Jews that are persecuting God's people. One of the key struggles that the church had uh, in the early days was trying to reconcile its Old Testament faith and scripture with the true reality of Jesus Christ as the Redeemer. And a key defining feature of that was the, the reality of what it meant to be circumcised in faith. Uh, those of you who've been going through the Bible studies would know we've already looked at circumcision a few times, particularly with the Abrahamic covenant. And we're actually going to be looking at it again going forward as well. Uh, and what circumcision was, was it was this establishment of an identity of who God's people were. They were commanded to circumcise themselves because it allowed them to both be reminded of the, the relationship that they had to God as his people, and as a symbol on their hearts to remember it. And what this meant for the early church was that they struggled to understand whether or not Christians should or shouldn't be circumcised. And ultimately, if you read Acts 15, the church and its leaders concluded that circumcision was not necessary and that it was only through faith in Jesus that someone finds himself saved. But the problem was is that the Jews still used and tried to trick Christians into getting themselves circumcised as a necessity for salvation. They wanted the Christians to believe that in order to be saved, they had to do something. They had to show an act to earn their salvation. And the idea here is very important. He, he describes them as mutilators of the flesh. He takes a symbol of faith and companionship with God and describes it in the context now of the true faith and companionship through Jesus as nothing more than an act of mutilation on a body. But the word flesh isn't just necessarily a description of skin. It's also a description of the, the, the attitude of the heart that people have. Uh, throughout Paul's letters, he uses the word flesh as a description of people who focus on things absent of the spirit, absent of God, earthly things. The flesh versus the spirit. And Paul makes it clear that this attitude, this belief that the Jews are trying to push and this persecution that they throw at the Christians is a fleshly attitude that is counter to the real truth and the spiritual nature of faith in Jesus Christ. They have put their faith, their power, their, their assurance in their actions in the things that they do to earn salvation. And Paul actually rebukes the uh, Pharisees in the very next verse, because he says to them, he says, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to law, a Pharisee, 
as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul says to the Philippians, if there's anyone that understands the mindset of these people, it is I, because I was the perfection of their ideals. Uh, the background for Paul, if you don't know it, was that Paul was originally a Jew who dedicated his life to persecuting the church. He presided over the first execution or martyr, Stephen, and his death. Paul knew what it took to be a Jew. Paul perfected it. Paul was the apex of the Jewish world. And yet now he sits here saying, it is nothing but foolishness, nothing but mutilating of the flesh. There's an attitude in the hearts of many who call themselves uh, people of faith in which they see themselves as Christian based on the morality that they live. And in some ways, this is very similar to the, the attitudes of the Jews, that what they did assured them their salvation. And many people of uh, faith today hold to this same ideal, particularly around the ideal of morality and actions, that I am a good Christian because I do good things, because I come to church. And the danger in this kind of thinking is it actually traps you and pulls you away from Jesus. It traps you in two uh, key ways. Firstly, it brings about a sense of pride in who you are. It brings about a sense of, of accomplishment. It becomes about you and your attitude and your actions and not about Jesus. And at the same time, it, this attitude, as we've witnessed time and time again throughout, excludes true believers, true sinners who are coming and seeking repentance. Uh, when I was in uh, college, I had an opportunity to do mission down at Berkeley, uh, which is a uh, southern part of Wollongong area. Uh, it was a, a steel town. It was connected heavily with the steelworks uh, in Wollongong. And then obviously when the steelworks went through their significant uh, shrinking, Pretty much the whole town lost their jobs, uh, and it, it slowly over time became government housing. It's not an area that you would say is, is, is very affluent. It's quite poor, a lot of drugs, a lot of abuse. And so I remember going to their church service uh, as, a, as a, you know, a naive white Camden child, so to speak, not preparing for what I was going to witness. And one of the strangest things for me was halfway through the service, we stopped and had a smoko break. And it was, it was such an unusual thing for me to experience. I'm like, that's, that's not what church is. You don't, you know, you, gotta, you can sit for an hour, right, guys? And then I remember going out and chatting with the men, and, and they were men that expressed great faith, but spoke with words that I would never dare utter near a church building. And it was easy for me to sit there and look and go, look, these aren't good Christian men. And I remember uh, in my, I, I never said it outwardly, but I remember being rebuked in my heart as we sat with the minister of the service. And he said to us that these are great men of faith, but their sin takes a long time to come around. And it actually hit me because I think we are the same here in where we live. It's just that our sins are much easier to hide amongst good company. The emphasis on morality as the reason why we are saved actually rejects those who seek true repentance in Jesus Christ because they don't match the ideals that we believe bring about salvation. Thinking you are Christian because you do good 
is counter to the true reality of the Spirit in which salvation is only found through Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection. But Paul continues, uh, and he's actually trying to make a key point here about identity. If we go back to the verse 3, it says, For we are the, it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus and put conf no confidence in the flesh. Paul is uh, throwing to the Philippians their understanding of who they are as identity. As I said, circumcision is a key factor of Jewish identity of who they are as God's people. And Paul is now making it clear to the Philippians that you are the people who identify as God. Faith in Jesus now acts as the true circumcision of God's people. And it's something we'll be looking at in the future in our small groups. I also think it's interesting here that Paul uses the language of we. We are the circumcised. We are this. It is a united people. It is a people from all aspects of life, not just the circumcised are God's people, but we are the circumcised. It is a statement that encompasses many different people into faith. And then he actually explains what this looks like. He says, firstly, we are the people who serve God by his Spirit. Our goodness, our ability to serve, our wonder in faith is, is prompted by the Spirit and brought about by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that brings the goodness in us out. The spirit that unites and directs us towards serving God. Secondly, it's instead of boasting in how good we are and the actions that we have in this verse, Paul said and boasts about we boast how wonderful Jesus is. We declare his name. We praise his name. We share it with others. And thirdly, we, we no longer put any confidence in the flesh. We no longer look at our salvation as something that is earned, but instead something given through the wonder of Jesus Christ. Paul knows what it is to try to earn your salvation. And as he's expressed in the later verses, he understands it better than anyone else. And then what I love is this, this verse uh, 7. Paul has just made it clear that he knows true salvation by works and then he says but whatever were gains to me now i consider loss for the sake of christ paul makes it clear that in, in the context of jesus christ and his salvation that any claim for righteousness that he could make are worthless and the language here of gain it, it does two things it links us back to philippians 1 21 where he says for me to live is christ and to die is gain and it's a language of, of the marketplace, to gain a profit, to earn something. And Paul is, is essentially saying the market value of his good works when compared to the market value of Jesus Christ is utterly worthless. It's not worth even mentioning. What he can earn for salvation is nothing compared to Jesus. But then he continues, and he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
Paul actually shifts what is more I consider everything a loss. He shifts from the spiritual inward value that we place on our actions to just the reality of existence on this earth and the desire of the things that we value. All of it is considered loss. And Paul makes it clear that he has lost everything. Uh, as John mentioned to us in the very first week, Paul at this point is most likely in prison. He is uh, eagerly hoping to go out and continue in the service of the Lord, but is also expecting that this will be the last place that he lives. He knows what it is to lose everything for Christ. He's given up his personal freedom, his anonymity, his life, but considers all of that utterly worthless to faith in Christ Jesus, to the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of that faith. And he looks at it all and he considers it rubbish. And the word rubbish is a, is a strong word here. Uh, Tony, when I remember preaching on this passage years ago, and Tony was like, you should, you should try and swear, you know, because it's, you know, it's kind of like a swear word, right? Um, I actually don't think he was right, but well, he's not here, so I can say that. It's all right. <laughs> but it is, it is a strong word. It's essentially this, this language of not even worth anything, not worth keeping, just throwing away. It is just a disregarded, a complete unworthiness. Everything that we could ever get in this life is worthless compared to Jesus. Uh, one of my... Um, uh, guilty pleasure shows to watch for a while was uh, the hoarding shows. Has anyone ever seen those shows? Uh, I actually really liked the original British version because in the original British version they would bring in a psychologist and they would actually help the person beyond just cleaning their house. And often it was revealed that these people uh, that do hoard have suffered quite dramatic and, and, and awful life events that have uh, definitely impacted them quite severely. But the basis of these shows, if you don't know what it is, it's essentially someone who uh, has a house that is just unbelievably full of stuff to the point of just absolute... Uh, they often end up don't being able to sleep on their beds and things like that. Uh, I was sharing this with the 8 o'clockers and they all said, that's our houses because our kids haven't taken any of their stuff. <laughs> and it's interesting and it's this absurd... The, the point of the show is not so much to see the house cleaned, but for the drama that comes about when the, the uh, show producers and helpers want to throw out a worthless piece of furniture and to watch the person react in absolute outrage that they would consider throwing it out. And it's, it ranges from all sorts of things to old leather chairs that are completely shredded to newspapers. And the drama is in the, the outrage and the anger that the person feels to throw out that worthless thing. And I sit there at home and I watch this woman go, why can't you just get rid of it? It is rubbish. And no doubt Jesus looks at so many of us and says, why can't you just get rid of that? It's rubbish. So many of us pursue the things of this earth as a way to find meaning and purpose and hope and ignore the love that Jesus has offered us and the salvation that he gives us. To know Jesus is more important than any money or power, job security, house, all of that is less important than to know and have faith in Jesus Christ. So what do we do then? Do we all go home today and sell everything we have and we go out and live in a tent? Actually, we probably won't live in a tent because that's owning something, so we'll live under the stars and we'll die after two days because we need to live. No, it's, it's not about 
sacrificing everything every day in a way that perhaps encourages foolishness with the way that we think about things. But a challenge for each and every one of us today is to go home and think to yourself, what can't I get rid of? What am I holding on to more than anything? What would I be unwilling to sacrifice if Jesus called me to for his kingdom? And that can sound terrifying because we, we might think uh, authoritative regimes that demand we sacrifice everything for completely pointless endeavors, but that is not the language that we are using here. This is the language of a God who has saved and treasures us. And he wants us to hold on to the treasure of Jesus. So the issue in our hearts is what, are we, what rubbish are we treasuring more than Jesus? And I won't necessarily tell you what you then do with that thing. It may be appropriate that you get rid of it. It may be something that you can't get rid of. And in those times, I think it's a moment for you to come to prayer in the Lord and ask for his heart to redirect, ask for him to redirect your heart to him. Coming to Jesus, the true message of the cross is a humbling experience. It humbles us, as we've read today, because it shows us that we can't do anything to get our salvation. That any acts of goodness, any treasures in your heart, works of the flesh that you think you should be proud of because it has earned you a place at God's side are completely worthless. And that any physical thing we might consume or devour too stands completely worthless. And I stand right there with all of you. I cannot deny that I am definitely a participant in the consumeristic culture that we live in. I love to buy things. And there are times where I definitely have bought things that I shouldn't have. But does that mean every purchase I've ever made is inherently sinful? I don't think so. But there are definitely things in my life that I will prioritize over Jesus if I am not careful. My question to you is, are you going to hold on to that scrappy, awful leather chair? That's a metaphor if you haven't picked up on it. Or are you going to hold on to the true faith in Jesus Christ. Because sometimes our treasure is trash, and the things that we see as trash in Jesus are actually our true treasures. Let me finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has brought us out of sin, that has brought us out of slavery and into freedom of your kingdom. We thank you that we stand adopted as your children, now able to treasure you as our true salvation. We pray that you'll help us to remove the distractions from our hearts that we treasure over you and to see your love your, and faith in you as the true thing that we can value. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.